Hello, and welcome to episode 190 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. First, a warm welcome to Megan Q, Jacob N, Sarwin S, and Alana B, the newest members of the Modern Manager community. Membership is designed to give you the additional resources and support you need to activate what you're learning on the show and further develop your capabilities as a rockstar manager. We've got monthly Q&A calls where we tackle your questions and challenges, a Slack group where you can engage directly with other members, and hundreds of guest bonuses, episode guides, and more resources. To learn more, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. If you haven't yet checked out my new quiz, What's Your Delegation Downfall? I hope that you'll take this free quiz and find out what's keeping you from delegating most effectively. Upon completion, you get a full report with tips on how to overcome your specific delegation downfall. Head over to themodernmanager.com slash delegation dash quiz or check the show notes for the link. Today's episode is about influencing without authority. This topic has come up a lot recently with one-on-one coaching clients in our member Q&A call. And I felt like now was a good time to dig into this juicy topic of working with people who aren't in your direct line of supervision or control, but yet who you need to get on your team. Sometimes it's that we need something from a colleague in a different department. And other times it's that we're trying to change a system and need to build buy-in up, down, or sideways. Regardless of why, learning how to influence others' thinking and behavior when you're not in a position of formal authority is a valuable skill as a manager and in life. So let's get to it. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. You might be thinking of influencing as a form of persuading, and at least that's how I used to think of it. In order to get someone to buy into my idea or help me out, I needed to convince them. The problem with this mindset is that it can immediately put you in a frame of selling, coercing, or otherwise having to get someone to do something that they don't really want to do. And that, at least for me, always felt kind of yucky. And it meant making your case, laying out all the important points, and then dealing with any objections until the person finally agreed. Now, I was never very good at that. Sometimes I think it's because I empathized with the person and saw how my case wasn't convincing them. And then the harder I tried to logically get them there, the more it felt like I was arm twisting and just fighting a losing battle. So when I started learning alternative approaches to influencing, it all started to fall into place. So here are the five principles that I have found useful when influencing without authority. Number one, start from a place of curiosity. Every person you are trying to influence has their own situation, their own values, passions, priorities, and stressors. We can only influence people if we understand who they are and what they care about and what's going on for them. So by asking questions and truly listening, we can start to formulate a compelling answer to the what's in it for me, which everyone's looking for, so that by the time we get to soliciting their engagement, we're able to align our goals with theirs. This is really important because if you don't understand the other person's situation, you may get them to help out once or agree to support a new initiative, but you likely won't get a lot of enthusiasm or sustained engagement. And so many times we need more than just a one-off. We want people to have a mindset that they're part of our team, that they're contributing to something important and exciting, and that they are essential to our collective success. But if that thing we're asking them to be part of doesn't feel important or exciting to them, Even if they say yes, they'll likely see it as just a distraction or something they're agreeing to because they're just being nice. 
So we always want to start with a sense of curiosity and explore how my goals, what I need, fits into their goals, their values, their priorities. Number two, identify the roadblocks. Sometimes, even when people want to help us out, they can't. Their plate is just too full, or their boss is being really demanding, or they don't have the skills and they can't actually do what we're asking of them. Or maybe they're afraid of what might happen if they do get on board, or a million other things. If we can identify what's getting in the way or what's causing frictions, we may be able to address those factors and therefore make it easier for the person to say yes. And if you're having that early conversation and asking questions to understand their situation, you can also start to surface concerns and obstacles or frictions and roadblocks. Then think through what obstacles you maybe will actually do something about that you could remove or at least diminish. For example, maybe you can talk with the person's boss about why this is a great opportunity for their team member or show them your plan so that they can see exactly what they're signing up for exactly what would be expected of them over the course of a project and therefore reduce their anxiety and the ambiguity about what they're agreeing to. In addition to making it easier for them to say yes, you're also showing them that you are willing to go to bat for them or to help make their life easier. And that can go a long way. Hence, number three, be proactive in cultivating relationships. No one wants to feel like they're a tool and that you're just using them to get something done. One of the best ways to avoid creating that feeling is to build relationships before making asks. Think about yourself for a moment. There are probably people in your life who you would help out regardless of what they asked of you, and you would do it happily, not because you care so deeply about the thing that they care about, but because you care about them and you know that they care about you. And then there are probably other people in your life that if they asked you for help, even something you could easily do, you might do it begrudgingly or ignore their email and just hope they go away. Or give them a flat out no, although maybe said in a little more nicely like, I'm so sorry I can't help you out at this time. The same is true in the workplace. If we ask a colleague in a different department to take on more work or put their reputation on the line by supporting our new initiative or do something differently because it would meet our needs better, that ask will feel totally different to them depending on our relationship status. As much as possible, we need to be investing proactively in building and maintaining relationships. This means getting to know people, checking in randomly, or doing something valuable for them, like forwarding an article, video, or podcast that you think they might enjoy. It doesn't need to be a big gesture or take a lot of time. You just want to foster an authentic, caring relationship whenever possible. And I say whenever possible because sometimes we don't know who we're going to need to influence ahead of time, and the timeline's short, so we just have to do our best to cultivate that relationship through that first step of curiosity. For those of you who are like me, who are thinkers, not feelers, Cultivating relationships doesn't always feel like second nature. So I do two things to help me do this. First, I have a general ratio of three touches between asks. Now that might sound formulaic, but I find it super helpful. So what I do is I try to connect with someone on a human level at least three times before I turn to them for an ask. These touches, as I call them, might be something like sending them well wishes for a holiday or following up to ask how a vacation or a big event went or thanking them for something they helped me with in the past. The second strategy I use is asking myself, WWAD, what would an adult that I respect do? A friend of mine used to say this when she was in her 20s and trying to figure out how to be more mature and professional. And I just love this idea of taking a second and thinking, if I were so-and-so who's good at this kind of stuff, what would they do? All right, number four, bring people in early and often. 
there is a surprising phenomenon that happens where even if we don't like or agree with an outcome, if we feel that we are authentically part of the process to get there, then we'll go along with it. This is an incredibly powerful technique because it means that we can get people to choose to support a new initiative or modify a behavior simply by including them in the decision-making process, even if they don't love what we're asking them to do. So when it comes to influencing, it can sometimes feel like we need to have everything figured out ahead of time so we can make that compelling case. But actually, it's the opposite. We are better off bringing people in to help shape the idea, process, or outcome so that they feel a sense of ownership over it. To do this well, we need to actually value what they say, not simply go through the motions of asking them and then still sticking with our own ideas. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to agree or even incorporate everything that they offer, just that you have to take it seriously. And when you're not going to incorporate their input, be clear as to why. The more you can include people early, the easier it will be to get them invested, even to the point where they may start influencing others on your behalf. Lastly, number five is to tap into emotions. People tend to act when their emotions are spiked. We've seen this in numerous studies about how people tend to give money to social causes. You can tell them all the numbers, like a million children are food insecure. Or you can tell them a story about a single child who goes to bed hungry most nights. Now, while there are multiple reasons why the story results in more donations than a huge number, one of them is because it taps our emotions. We get activated when we are in a state of high emotion, which could be excitement or frustration or anger. All of those actually spur people to act. It's that state of apathy or indifference where we don't care. That's actually the problem. And your enthusiasm can be contagious. The stories you tell, the vision you paint, the emotion that comes out in your own voice, those can tap into the person's own emotions. So while numbers may work for a few folks, for most of us, it's actually a narrative that tugs at our emotional strings that gets us going. Whether it's a story of why the current reality really isn't working and the pain that it's causing, or a beautiful projection of what the future could be if only we were to do something. Both can stick with someone and get them emotionally invested in success. So those are the five approaches to influencing without authority. Start with curiosity, try to remove barriers, build authentic relationships, bring people in early, and tap into their emotions. Members of the Modern Manager get this week's episode guide, which includes tips and actions for each of the five approaches to influencing without authority. To become a member, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. And if you work for a nonprofit or government agency, you get 20% off of any membership level. You can also purchase this full episode guide at themodernmanager.com slash shop. All the links are in the show notes, including that quiz, and they can be delivered to your inbox along with this week's episode mini guide. So if you haven't yet subscribed to my newsletter, go get on that list at themodernmanager.com. Also, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at Mamie KS for more valuable content. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. 
That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.